feel like we didn't have to do a lot of work because like he was just so knowledgeable about everything that yeah yeah welcome to the wardrobe this is the who you know podcast I'm Rylan Deemer. And I'm Elisa Wilde. And today's guest you are going to love. Uh, his name is Steven Zittner. He is a good friend of ours and really knowledgeable about a lot of topics. Uh, and I think, I mean, we go so deep on like cryptocurrency yeah. and Steven's background. But and... yeah, he does such a good job of explaining things. Me being someone who doesn't understand in-depth topics as much still took away a lot from this so mm-hmm. i mean yeah i i have bitcoin now so that's new as a result of this episode yeah after the episode Stephen got her set up with her own cryptocurrency wallet and and now elisa has bitcoin yep so now i need to do more research yeah anyway stay tuned uh like i said you're gonna love the episode and next up is Stephen. Yeah, it, like it really freaked us out the first couple times. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Speaking of freaking out, like, okay, so like once a month we have a cleaner come in. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. And <laughs> I was telling Elisa this story the other day as well. But like our cleaner came in, mm-hmm. and uh, we had asked her like as a special thing to clean around like the walls of the basement because uh-huh. like the spiders really accumulate, okay. so like all the yeah. rugs are up. And I've got really bad arachnophobia. Oh. And, um, oh my goodness. So, like, I, I'm like, I pointed the cleaner toward like one of the trouble spots where it's super webby. And she just takes her bare hand <laughs> and thrusts it into the web and like, like swishes around to like break the web up. Mm. I was like, mm. she, I was like, oh my god, she's on another level. I'm like watching a spider like run away from her, and yeah, it really freaked me out. I, yeah. I couldn't believe she did it. <laughs> did she end up cleaning the baseboards up? Yeah, it yeah. wasn't just that one spot. <laughs> no, no, no. All I one. mean, like it, normally, I'd be able to like look, look over there and see some webs, but they're gone now. And, yeah, yeah. So I think I, uh, they're a lot less dangerous than our fears make them out to be. Like, there actually will be like the first instinct is to run away. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like she probably knows that and just like, okay, you're going to get out of here. There's just two <laughs> spiders, though, that can bite you and you'll lose your, your handle deterioration. <laughs> yeah. The brown recluse and the black widow. Um, Both of which I think live around here, right? Yep. They do. I was going to yeah. say the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scaring me. Yeah. Well, we don't know then, I guess. Uh, we'll have to do a Google search afterwards. We're not entomologists. No. Is that the right word? That's for a study of words. Oh. Uh, I believe entomology arach- is. Would it be something to do with arachnids? Ac- uh, Arachnidologist? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think we're making it up a bit on the fly. That's maybe just a biologist, you know, okay. studies creatures. Okay, so so Annie. Annie, more or less. Okay. But ant- biology is like the master set. I mean, that's probably someone who does study insects yeah. and arachnids. Just anyway, something. how are you feeling? Is that how's that hitting you? Not yet. And like, I feel uh, hydrated. Should uh, we have this on camera? <laughs> uh, I don't. Maybe I it's mean, fine. Maybe they'll pay us. <laughs> maybe a sponsorship. Yeah, out. that's what I'm. If thinking. we drink it enough. For now, we'll call it X Beverage. You know, some generic X. name. <laughs> Insert beverage name. Here. Yeah. Until then, I think all three of us had a, a workout morning, right? Mm. 
You worked out today, dude? Yeah, okay. I did. That's good. Are yeah. you sore? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, I don't get too sore after workouts anymore, but once you kind of get used to it, um, although I did have a little bit of like when you work out too hard and intensely and you need a rest day, sometimes your body will tell you. So my arm, which I have a prior injury on, flared up, and that is not obviously like a definitive um, test that tells you you need to stop but like or take a date rest day. But when you have a random ache or muscle soreness that kind of just spring, springs up on you, that's typically a sign you need a rest day or a deload week. So um, what's a deload week? That's where so you have splits in you know a training program where. And it can be designed in any such way, but like they usually take place over anywhere from uh, eight to 12 weeks or so. And then at the end of that 12 weeks, uh, a lot of times elite lifters will take a deload week. And what that is, is it's it's really, you don't really sacrifice anything on intensity. So if your top working range for squat is like 405 plus, something like up there, you still do that, but you really take the volume out of it. So you might do two sets of three instead of like five sets of five. Yeah. Like, you know, and um, that allows your body to adjust and, I mean, the name kind of says it all, deload. Um, I think from what I've read that and heard from other um, exercise channels and such on YouTube is that if you just really push through it, uh, you do kind of run into an injury head on and you're Mm -hmm. out for longer if you don't pull yourself back. And a lot of recovery, too, isn't just physical muscle tissue being rebuilt or even ligaments and tendons being rebuilt. Uh, Your central nervous system gets overloaded if Mm. you really um, go hard, 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 hard. You hustle, 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 and you have no breaks. So it's actually more, uh, sometimes it's more mental. Um, A good sign of that is like if you wake up in the morning or anytime you really can't grip very hard, Mm. likely your body is overloaded even if you've had enough like muscle recovery. Time. You still need some extra recovery. I feel like you're like all three of us exercise, mm-hmm. but you're like a tier or two <laughs> or five, like above my level of, of fitness. Because yeah. like I, I feel like the things that you have to think about in mm-hmm. order to like maintain or like do your fitness regimen mm-hmm. is so much more than what I have to even like. I I, I don't even have to like think of like doing a deload week because. Mm-hmm. I just don't work out to that, that degree. Load. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to load to begin with. Some people take a lot of rest days, rest weeks even. And, well, and, yeah, and I was going to say, like, after I work out, like, if it's an intense set, I'll be sore three days later. Mm-hmm. Like, my muscles are still, like, doing the recovery thing. Yeah. yeah. And you're saying that that goes away to some degree? or. Yep. Okay. After two to three, it varies by person and uh, training level and um, how well you take care of yourself after outside of the gym. But generally, when you get into like a lifting zone, um, after about two to three weeks, you honestly leave the gym and whether it's immediately or two days later, you don't feel any real soreness anymore mm-hmm. at all, actually. Um you might feel some soreness here and there. And actually I had a weird cramp that actually happened that caused some soreness in my legs. So I do feel a tiny bit, but that's more just because I think I was not hydrated enough mm-hmm. heading into the gym or I didn't eat a solid breakfast. But um, yeah, general muscle soreness diminishes over time. And again, like the, th- the three factors outside the gym that I 
always tell people like to concentrate on. If you have like three months of your life and you can focus on just this and optimizing these, you like turn into a different person that I don't think a lot of people find like from themselves. And like after the, the, the things are one is nutrition. Um, depends on the type of body you are. If you are someone who doesn't gain as easily, you stay really thin very much, then your nutrition plan is likely to eat a lot of calories, caloric surplus, and then make sure you have, yeah, That's me, 100%. multivitamins. But, and your body is forced to grow. Like if you've been like thin, like I used to be really thin, you would have not recognized, you know, a lot thinner than I am now. And, um, your body really is forced to grow if you eat a caloric surplus and it's uncomfortable initially, but eventually you kind of, if that's what you want to do, your body will change. Um, hydration is the next one. You need to stay pretty hydrated with water. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a huge, like, you're not going to recover at all. You're going to feel like crap if you don't drink enough water. Um, the, and then the third one is rest. Some people just really like, they don't have any sort of schedule to their sleep at all they just treat sleep as like, I'll get to it. You know, they'll stay up very much, you know, and I'm not saying you need to go to bed at eight every night and um, wake up at six, you know, that's sounds like the stereotypical thing, but just get your eight hours and have that it does have not sound stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the stereotypical, like, Oh, I get up at six and I go to bed on time every night sure, and yeah. then I never go out. I'm not saying that, but at the same time, um, you know, this is like you just carve out a chunk of your life and you follow these. And if you do it well, and then you add training, of course, you got to train well, um, you'll be a different person, not just physically, but mentally at the end. Yeah. Of it. And it won't seem nearly as like formidable to go back to. It always is. When you get into a slump, you have to go through that two or three weeks of soreness again. But like once you get through that, you're kind of unstoppable. Yeah. So when you say rest, you meant more the sleeping versus like taking days off correct right? yeah okay. no rest days are like incorporated into your schedule mm -hmm. if you follow a plan and your, your mm -hmm. trainer will put that in there if you have a trainer do you create your own plan or like do you follow something online or do you just know what to do well so like for the longest time you know i've lifted on and off successfully unsuccessfully for years i've figured it all out myself and so the level whatever i level i'm at is really an unorganized com combination of multiple things and I haven't always had the money to pay for a trainer or like a plan. So I really kind of now I'm making it up as I go, but, um, other times I've, I've followed plans in the past and plans vary based on your goal. Yeah. Um, generally and in the realm of like muscle building, you can either have a hypertrophy goal or a powerlifting goal. Mm. You really, it's hard mm -hmm. to do both because hypertrophy, hypertrophy, that's gen that's a fancy word for, um, exercises that stimulate muscle growth and size. So mm -hmm. bodybuilders, they do hypertrophy type exercises because they want large biceps and triceps and chests and, um, whereas, and what was the second one? Powerlifting type <clears throat> exercises. So these ones are focused on the primary compound lifts, you know, bench press, overhead press, deadlift squats, and really focus on all training to make it you capable of pulling or pushing more weight in those specific goals. So it's more technical. Okay. And there's, they're, they're kind of at odds, well, but it, so it really depends on what your goal is. What do you want to get out of it? It's gratifying to hit a new PR, which public, public uh, record, I think, or personal record yeah. on, on a lift. So powerlifting is, has a allure to some degree, but as you get older, it might not be nearly as much of your goal. And like, you don't want to like throw out your back, but some people actually seem to maintain a, a strong um, training regimen, even if they're fifties and sixties. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
It's awesome hearing you talk about all this, and uh, I want to pause for a second and say welcome to the wardrobe. Mm. <laughs> Steven Zittner, it's so good to have you here. Yep. I'm always worried I mispronounce your last name, mm. so let me know if I got that right. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're very thankful to have you here today, uh, and you know, we've been talking about exercise a lot, and we'll, well probably still talk a little bit more about it. But. Yeah, because today I haven't worked out in like two weeks, mm. and so... I woke up this morning and I was like, do I really want to work out? I'm like, well, Steven's coming on. I think I need to work out so that I can be able to remember what we're working on. It's like, but yeah, because like I took two weeks off, so now I'm super sore today. But yeah. Yeah. And you will be. Yep. So. But then, like you said, once you get back in the swing. Yeah. Then no, you're good. And, and you're doing Orange Theory. Yeah. Right. I've so, been doing Orange Theory Fitness. So um, what is the program like? Uh... There's a couple different things you can do. The main class that I go to is like three stations, rowing machine, which usually involves some type of like med ball or like kettlebell dumbbell exercise along with it, like row, mm -hmm. do something, row, do something. And then lifting. And so you do specific exercises. Sometimes it's more arm focused. Sometimes it's more leg. And sometimes it's like full body with dumbbells. Uh, like there's a bench so you could do dumbbell presses, but, mm -hmm. and then treadmill portion, which is my least favorite. Mm -hmm. Mine but too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of cardio, but I have like a second wind on it. Actually mm -hmm. lately I've been like doing a nice successfully for the first time in a while, 20, 10, 20 minutes of cardio before nice. the exercises. So I feel like it's going to benefit me somehow. Um, but you yeah, know, I, I, the re one of the reasons I signed up, I was like, I knew I had to do treadmill if I do it. And it'll push me because I'm not used to it. Yeah. And I like being pushed. So, like, what are your goals when it comes to exercise? Do you have a specific, like, you goal that is very much, like, something you're really trying to achieve? Or are you just doing it because it feels good? Or, like, what is so, it? So, yeah. Uh, I kind of both. So, like, always, I like muscles. Mm -hmm. And so I don't mind building up muscle, losing fat at the same time. Yeah. But... Also, like you said, I get this like really good feeling when I work out. So like even this morning, a lot of times I wake up and I'm like, do I really want to work out today? And I was like, I know I'm going to feel like a hundred times better if I do. Absolutely. So, and like, I like being pushed in my workout because that's what makes me, I think I feel good that I accomplished something mm. versus, I don't know. I just walked around the block, even though it's good to even have walks. I just doesn't feel satisfying to me. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Um, no, nothing's wrong with those, especially on rest days. Um, having some cardio training, even if it's as mild as walking, mm -hmm. helps with your recovery. Um, it helps increase blood circulation, mm -hmm. and that's a big component of recovery. Um, so you actually do yourself less of a favor by really like rest resting um oh, and time. you should do something on your off days you should okay. like walk your dog or like, i'm gonna get a dog eventually uh, in a little bit and all that but um you know walk your dog uh, play some basketball um you know um even just hitting the sauna i mean that elevates oh, really? your heart rate because of the heat um if it, if it reaches an adequate temperature uh so any of those are great for recovery do you have access to a sauna um, at the gym, I do. Oh, cool. Yeah. Genesis has I think a lot of gyms. Um, have yeah. They I, have, should, I should check to see if mine does. Yeah. No. And I, there's a whole, like, I'm not an expert in it, but I hear that there's like a weird 
interesting effect that goes on to your body when you're exposed to heat and cold, like heat shock proteins that um, are somehow healthy for your body. I'd, I'd have to unpack it by looking at other sources I've read, but um, it helps. How do you know what to believe? Like, there's so much, <laughs> Agreed. especially you with, test with it like for, fitness stuff. Yeah. Like I, I, I never know, and that's why I got a trainer. Agreed. Well, there are some things that are like kind of incontrovertible, and um, but it is a really big. There's a lot of gray area. I, I feel because um, nutrition. I don't think we really know a heads or tails about nutrition as a whole. Not just mm -hmm. in the realm of lifting, but generally. I don't think we really know like much about nutrition at all. So, and that's a huge portion portion of like lifting and uh, health. Mm -hmm. So um, not saying I have the answer necessarily, but I know kind of what works for me. Um, some things are kind of known like su supplementation wise. Uh, one that's very no well known is that creatine is a direct re result of um, building muscle size, but also muscle output in the mm -hmm. gym. That's going to be a huge benefit to you. Otherwise, um, there may be some other supplements that we know about, but I mean, most of them make you feel jittery. It yeah. gets you like your body kind of jittering in, in the in the uh, mood to work out to some mm -hmm. degree. It's hard. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of rely a lot on the credibility of some of the sources that I listen to. And I, I test and know what's worked for me over years. So... That's what I think you kind of hit on a really interesting point where someone who might be more like they haven't worked out regularly as part of their natural like maintenance of their health. Like, mm. how do you know where to even start and what to believe that works? Mm. And a large portion of lifting is really figuring it out and trying. And it's like the best type of there's no barrier to entry. Really, you get a gym membership, you go in and try and you listen to what your friend or what some interesting person on uh, YouTube might have said, mm. and um, it might work for you, um, but you you then eventually are forced to adapt because whatever you try, you're either going to be wanting more or you're going to realize this isn't really working for me. Um, and I've noticed that, like I've tried programs where they might look great on paper and they probably have worked for a lot of people, but I'm not happy doing them. I don't feel like I'm, I don't know, getting a lot of... Um, good feeling for this is a good feeling for when you've really hit a solid workout that hits the muscles you were looking to hit at enough duration enough intensity that you walk out of there feeling like a hundred bucks mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. um it that's where i've kind of gotten to it and really the big question mark is nutrition supplementation like what do you take what do you to optimize it i think you can't go wrong period if you're eating healthily and you gain a lot of gains from it but like as far as getting optimal uh, stuff um just a lot of research really um, yeah i really have a question that i've asked people before and i've never gotten a good answer and i want to know if you know the answer so if you want to build muscle you need to be in the cal caloric surplus right but yes. if, if you want to lose fat don't you need to be in a calorie deficit can you do both that's at the same time <laughs> do you know yes you can do both okay. at the same time um but i feel like you that's a that's an interesting topic in itself because you got to kind of tackle like what causes like okay. gaining weight to some degree and like what, so what might sure. be causing obesity a lot of people some people are questioning whether the simple calories in calories out model of thinking about it is valid because i mean diets tend to like work a little bit for a while but then they kind of your body kind of converges back they don't always yeah. like last and such so 
it's complicated. I've I've read that you can. I've never really had too much mm -hmm. of like a like a trimming fat. Like that's not necessarily been my goal, so I haven't really mm -hmm. tried anything like that. But um, I think you can probably. Um, Keep researching. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it probably varies from person to person too. Because I know, probably. like, uh, I am definitely both gaining muscle and losing fat right yeah. now. Like, okay. the key differentiators there is like fat burning exercises are really sustained heart rate type exercises. Um, okay. Anything short burst is not going to be super effective at hmm. losing weight. So powerlifters, um, they. And actually, to powerlifters' advantage, they actually want somewhat of a weight. They don't want to be cut and shredded. Mm -hmm. um, they actually, in a lot of their lifts, leverage like a big belly, for instance, to, to their advantage. Like the deadlift, for instance, you're bent over and your belly is like crammed. And then on the way up, it kind of you kind of leverage your body a little mm -hmm. bit in part of the lift. It's not purely muscle. Huh. So um, powerlifting would not be an effective, and a powerlifting program would not be effective for you to build muscle and lose weight. Right. Not at all. Um, all right, so what about, um, oh my gosh, I forgot the word. The hypertrophy program? Yeah, like, but what do you, bodybuilders? Yeah, bodybuilders. If I wanted to be a bodybuilder. Well, you you would definitely do a hypertrophy type program. And essentially what a hypertrophy program is, is really it works on a lot of volume at not, not, not necessarily at your maximal lift, but high, heavy enough to where there's a threshold that it stimulates the muscle. So there's a lot of volume involved. There's a lot of time you put the muscle under tension. And uh, the weight is kind of calibrated to reps. So if it's one of the lower rep, lower weights, you probably would do a lot more reps. You do a lot okay. of volume. Um, <laughs> and if this is a relatively higher um, muscle weight, you would calibrate it lower. But you're still getting a lot of volume in. And um, okay. um, so that would be your muscle building component. And I would just throw on some running like you're doing. So it so sounds like this Orange Theory um, programs are really well packaged, have all the equipment, and this probably could accomplish your goal. And I might even suggest supplementing with some more lifting. More, yeah, because yeah, you can go pretty high on the weights they have, which is what I like over like a group fitness class because I just have my 10 pound dumbbells the whole class otherwise, mm -hmm. whereas now I have my personal rack when I go. But I don't know. I've always wondered, am I really, I mean, I think I am building muscle because I can tell as I go like, oh, I'm doing a chest press with more weight now or mm -hmm. something, but. You're certainly building muscle. You know, bodybuilding may be in my future. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. No, I'm just kidding. It's, I mean, it's, kind of. <laughs> it's interesting because like, uh, I've been working with a trainer for a few months now mm -hmm. and I had no idea what kind of program it's in, but I think I'm in a hypertrophy. There's probably a lot of hypertrophy focus yeah. to it because. Because I told him I want to really build my strength but i want to stay lean mm -hmm. like i don't want to bulk up mm -hmm. um i mean i'm going to get bigger but like that's not my goal yeah uh and so he has me doing like a lot of volume mm -hmm. and and like you said he adjusts it like based on like whether i'm hitting at like 80 percent of my max mm -hmm. or like 60 percent or whatever yeah so. yeah and that's a good point orange theory has different days too so they have endurance days so that's like lower weight higher volume when we do that but then mm -hmm. power days and strength days are like a lot different like power days you're probably doing a lot more jumping and stuff but yeah strength mm -hmm. is heavier lower rep yeah so um, that's kind of cool too you had mentioned getting a dog mm -hmm. and i know we've talked about this a lot so where's the status on that because i know there you said there's like a period of time where i think your cousin was going to have the dog for a bit but yeah we haven't talked about it for a while Right. So, um, yeah, I've been wanting to get a dog for a long time. I mean, I'm really very much a dog person, yeah. if anyone knows me. So, 
Um, we just haven't really found a time or place um, for multiple reasons. But he just, I was looking to adopt a Great Dane that I found on the internet and I visited it and it's, it was really a beautiful Great Dane. It was probably about 130, 140 pounds. So not like a massive one. Mm. Um, loved me. Initially bonded. Uh, Krista didn't, she was nervous because it was jumping on my shoulders. So it had some bad habits and that's not one you want with a Great Dane. Right. Like if it's a, it's a corgi, then you can tolerate jumping, but mm-hmm. not for a Great Dane. So it was literally that same day coming out of that. I called my cousin to ask him, Hey, is this trainable? He's a, he's a dog whiz, and he just called me right back, and he asked, uh, yeah, I guess trainable, but would you like a Doberman Pinscher? Wow. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, it was it was just spur of the moment, and it was actually worked. So they had a litter that they just had available puppies, and they had no buyers, and, like, I don't even know if they were really selling. Like, this won't be a registered dog, which is not at all my concern because I'm not bringing him to a show or any of that purposes or trying to breed him. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just an available litter and they needed to find buyers and it was a very cheap fee. So it was like it rolled into it perfect. I was rolling the dice a little bit on the genetics of the dog, but so far he's looking really great. Like he's got great personality, um, very inquisitive, tough, Mm -hmm. doesn't back down from a challenge, Mm -hmm. but also really cares about like what Todd and whatever owner thinks. So He's very responsive and learns when you say no, you know, he'll, he'll look at you and try it again. And then once you tell him no again, you realize, okay, this is probably not something I need to work at or be at. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to getting him. Uh, that sounds so exciting. Do you get like videos yeah. of him? Oh my God. He's, Do you know a name yet? You don't have to say it if you don't yeah, want. If you yeah. want it to be a surprise, yeah, but... I'll bring them out to you guys. Okay. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll reveal it. Uh, yes. so bring up bring everyone over or something like that. But, um, He's really enlightening me on like dog psychology and um, because like you've seen the typical Labrador or something that everyone owns and it's like maybe not as well behaved as it could be. It can do a few tricks, but like when it gets excited, it won't listen to anyone. And um, then you see like this dog that will do every dang thing an owner will, will like say. And you wonder how did it get that way? And he he knows exactly how to train it that way. And he's kind of enlightening me about like what you need to uh, create within the dog psychology in order to get him to be like a perfect, well-behaved dog. So I'm going to try my best. That's really but, cool uh, that you yeah. can yeah. have such a good resource. <laughs> yeah, it's also like a really cool skill to build for yeah. yourself, like mm-hmm. like knowing that dog psychology. What is some like? Is there any? Are there any tidbits that you've learned so far that are interesting? Yeah. So. It actually parallels well to humans, so uh, it all de- deals with their like dopaminergic responses within the brain and like neurochemistry. So we have that all the time. You know, any vice you return to is oftentimes filled because you get dopamine from partic- partaking within that vice, or and you know we receive it when we interact with people we like and love. You know, we get we, they, we get filled with dopamine. So mm-hmm. similarly, dogs have you know you can dogs. I think we bred them so well to like be adaptive to our training that they've now become, especially a Doberman Pinscher, um, super well and easy to train and can connect on a dopamine level. So really, um, in the first formative years of the dog's life, you want to really be everything about that dog. You want to, Mm -hmm. you want to control every aspect of their life and provide them all the happiness they get in life. Mm -hmm. So that sounds a little bit like domineering and stuff, uh, but in reality, what you're setting up is that this dog realizes that if you respond to you and you treat him well, and he'll know if he's, you're not treating him well, 
He won't mm-hmm. believe. He won't listen to you if you, if you treat him poorly. So if you treat him well, and you're aware all of his happiness comes from at a formative age, he'll do everything for you. He gave the analogy like if you ever like seen like a homeless person and their dog, um, that homeless person doesn't have a lot of like material things to offer the dog, not at all. Mm-hmm. And yet that dog is inseparable from that homeless person. And when you're walking past him, he doesn't get excited and run up and try to sniff any random person. He doesn't care. He's that uh, his owner is the only person in that world, and he doesn't have a leash for him. He doesn't have to worry about him running in the street. Um, he'll do everything and stay within proximity of that person. Mm-hmm. And that's what like proper, according to him, like proper dog training should should establish. You are the owner, so therefore you're the alpha. Dogs don't see equals. If you create a relationship where a dog is your equal, that'll actually confuse them and give them anxiety because they're trying to figure out, am I leading you or are you leading me? And if you just keep giving them an equal kind of like human relationship, they'll end up just dominating you. Think of like little little tiny dog that just runs all over their owner. Uh, they're actually thinking in their head they're the alpha, and rightfully so, because they can't find an, like hum- how, how we have as humans like an equal kind of psychology. I That's think, so interesting. I think cats like to feel like they're domineering. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, okay. That's so I, That'd be really cool. Yeah, so that's sort of what I'm kind of he's given me some prompts about how to train him to like really walk well. So like for a dog who will disobey is more of an adult. You have techniques where you can like hmm. create some discomfort to for behaviors you don't desire and they'll eventually walk with you like on a leash but if you start even earlier where i am you don't even have to go there it can be all prompted based on positive reinforcement and you'll never have to train him with any sort of like negativity reprimand uh again in your life he'll walk right beside you he'll explore and be curious but on command he'll come next to you Mm -hmm. um and so that's kind of where i'm starting is the walk commands as well as tricks and whatever else i want to teach him so uh, I, i love showing off tricks yeah like, can your dog do this? Can your dog do this? <laughs> I the, like the relationship between human and animal is always super fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got two cats, and mm-hmm. and like you were saying, the bond is definitely a little bit different. Yeah. Although I, I I do think they seem a lot more relaxed when you take charge. So like, if I need to like put them in a, a carrier to like take them to the vet. Mm-hmm. The way that I approach them is totally different. I'm very like quick and forceful in my movements, and when I do that, they're a lot more chill about it. Yeah. But if I try to like be sweet and like slowly move uh, them into the crates, so that's when they start to like fight back. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but then like day to day, they definitely have more of the like they choose when to sit on your lap. They mm-hmm. choose when to you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they'll, they'll yell at you for food. Yep. Yeah. Well, because today I woke up, okay, we were watching football today, for example. So Dan and I were on the couch for like three hours. I might have been studying some of it. There was not like a five-minute break where our cat, Jackson, was not yelling at us. Because he was like, play with me, play with me, pay attention to me. You're not looking at me. It was, it's cute but annoying. But like, that's where I was like, he's trying to demand things out of me right now. Because I usually give in. (laughs) I'm like, okay, I'll play with you. But yeah. Well, you got to be fair. I mean, I'm not going to, by saying this, like, I'm not going to establish my dominance by, uh, you know, like withholding anything necessarily mm-hmm. from the dog. Like, you do want to use um, benefits and pleasures for the dog as a, a reward mechanism because otherwise you'll never have really any incentive. Mm-hmm. But 
um, you want it to be nonstop about fun, nonstop positive energy. If you bring negative energy and reprimand in too often, then the dog will be obedient to you for a while. But when he gets old, he's just not going to want to deal with you. He's going to do whatever he wants. He'll get food from you because you got to feed him. But otherwise, there's not going to be much to motivate him. Mm-hmm. So if you if you really try to um, be unfair and reprimand through cruelty, you won't have an obedient dog for life. And similar with cats, I'm sure they realize that deep down they realize you're the one, the reason why they come to a clean litter box yeah. every day. And you're, you're the reason why there's water when needed and food at certain times in the day. So they probably um, don't mind when you're occasionally a little forceful, like get in this crate so we can go yeah. to the vet. Yeah, cats actually, uh, they've got like a shorter uh, memory for punishment than dogs do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you don't punish a cat while it's doing the bad thing, mm-hmm. then they won't know why you're punishing them or they'll misattribute oh, yeah. the punishment to something else. That's super neat. So so with cats, you need to train them almost exclusively with positive reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Unlike dogs where there's a little bit of... Yeah, even with dogs, I think... It, it should be a very last resort yeah. and you should always be um you should look at yourself as at fault before seeing the dog as at yeah. fault um especially a puppy they're just so fragile mm-hmm. emotionally and they um and dobermans too they take longer to reach their adult maturity i think like german shepherds it's like six or eight months and they're like a fully adult german shepherd whereas a doberman can be up to two years oh, wow. that psychologically they're still a puppy but physically they look like an adult and mm-hmm. maybe even act like an adult because they're, they're pretty fierce dogs Mm -hmm. or they can be um so that is you know it is definitely a last resort in training i like it (laughs) speaking of dogs uh dogecoin man (laughs) (laughs) wow what a segue (laughs) that is that it's an interesting topic uh uh it's a funny meme i think uh for the most part, but uh, wow. I occasionally see like an article crop up that that says like Dogecoin is legitimately a good coin. Mm. Thoughts? Uh, I don't, I disagree. Um, I'm not as much into the technical details, um, but the main criticism of Dogecoin is that, I mean, it's a copy of a copy of a cryptocurrency. So like there was the OG Bitcoin and then someone decided they're going to create Litecoin, which is like a faster version of Bitcoin, you can mm. transact it faster. And their thought is like, well, we had gold coins and silver coins and gold was like, you held them to yourself and only used them for big purchases and you transacted in silver every day. Why not mm. we create Bitcoin, which is slower, but more secure, and then we'll take Litecoin. But So Bitcoin's kind of like a gold coin, Litecoin's kind of like a silver coin. In theory, but in reality, okay. I think they're kind of, it doesn't really fulfill that same value. You're kind of like taking a physical world reality with physical world limitations and trying to transpose that on the digital world. And I think mm-hmm. we kind of don't have a use case for that alternate blockchain, which is just the, the name for the, the, the underlying technology upon which Litecoin is built. But back to the original question, um, Litecoin was copied from Bitcoin and then Dogecoin was copied from Litecoin. Okay. So it's technically just a copy of a copy of a coin. Huh. So there really wasn't a lot of thought and planning put into it. It was all copied from one to the other. And um, it was since it was created as a joke and for a long time just sat at like fractions and fractions and fractions of a penny. Um, no, there were no, there was no community underneath of it kind of developing it and improving the underlying protocol so that it is 
susceptible from like attack is robust enough to prevent and avoid attacks. So I think it people could probably trade it. Trading is fun. You know, you buy something now and you anticipate it getting higher. It's always fun to do it. But yeah. as far as really making an investment choice on it, I, I disagree. I'd have to. Are they doing anything to improve the the protocol? So I think since Elon Musk has gotten involved and has top tweeted about it and it's gotten its price surges, it has received some developer activity. I don't follow it, so I won't proclaim to know like um, you know what they're specifically working on. And even and even even more significant, like I don't exactly know all of the details about how to maintain a, a protocol no matter which one it is, Bitcoin or otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I'm not uh, in the technical realm, but I know it does require maintenance. And some of it is like non-profit work and has to be sourced through donations. So if there's a community that is mm -hmm. donating towards non uh, open source software developers who really just work to maintain the protocol, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely going to be a more robust protocol for the future and it can adapt to changes. One example of what they do, I don't know if you want to interject if you had a question. Uh, well, I was just thinking, like, maybe you don't believe in Dogecoin for, like, an, a true investment. Mm -hmm. So do you view other cryptocurrency as a good investment? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea yeah. what I would be doing if None I, of like, us are stepped into advisors. this world. We're not yes. financial advisors at all. No, I'm not certified to give Personally, would you invest? But, you know, personally, my personal views is I think uh, the space is sort of, it, it is the future. It's kind of where we're heading. And for multiple reasons, I mean, many have come out there and it's a very divisive topic of which coin are you an allegiance to uh, at some, some degree. Um, for me, I've investigated all of them. And the main problem, which the main innovation is decentralization. That is the, the main innovation. So somehow we found... We created a digital good that's digitally scarce. That's never been done because you can copy and paste objects on the internet all day long. Mm -hmm. So we created something that is digitally scarce, improvable scarce through decentralization. So starting at the very beginning, you know, Bitcoin was created. And once it's gotten its adoption over all this time, there's no one organization that represents Bitcoin or maintains Bitcoin. It's a loose net of software developers who develop the underlying protocol miners who update the ledger based on a fair game that was set out and instantiated at the beginning and the node operators that just kind of check everything and make sure each new block follows the, the original rules and they're all a loose group of people that don't know each other mm -hmm. so there's no attack vector there as far as like someone figuring out how to domineer and attack it and take control of it you you can't like mm -hmm. i i can't it is technically impossible possible but in practicality that there's, there's no way to like figure out who all the software developers are incentivize them to act one way and then figure out all who all the miners are incentivize them to act a certain way and then figure out who all the node operators are and incentivize them to attack the network you'd have to like find them all and they're yeah. all pseudonymous so that kind of concept can be applied maybe to other areas like you know a corporation is centralized it is known as a tax so they have to really beef up and protect themselves from being, you know, a source of, uh, you know, of attack in the world. Mm -hmm. um, decentralized organizations don't are kind of immune from just public pressure, as uh, you know, in the, in the same in, in a way that's different than any centralized named organization mm -hmm. can be. So, correct me. I want to make sure I understand. Are you saying this is a good thing because it can't be attacked? It's kind of like a more 
like you feel more secure maybe putting yeah absolutely that's what i think is the main innovation i think that's why so a lot of things that we get value from are subjective to presuppositions so your investment in a company is is based on the presupposition that you the senior management acts appropriately to increase shareholder value and the market conditions of the time are optimal so that they're they find a product market fit a niche that they can attain and you do all that analysis and you think that the cash flows provided by this corporation will uh create an appreciation in, in the price but um and so everything we find value in to some degree um we kind of rely on others uh, to validate that and translating that to money um the big argument is that you know we trust that our money issuer and U.S. government is prudent enough so that it is prints at an incremental rate and it can optimize based on what our economy needs as far as the money supply. Mm-hmm. And it's based on a few people that run it. And what uh, Bitcoin and decentralized protocols attempt to do is take that away and just kind of fix the monetary issuance so that it's not um, alterable by mm-hmm. any one person. Take the company again, uh, a new share, new CEO is appointed who isn't what was in your presupposition there. If you're a minority shareholder, you kind of don't get any say. That kind of just changes your assumptions. And it, and there's a lot of other variables that could go into that that change it. And um, even more to the sense with, like, money. Um, Audrey wants to join us. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and we have another guest on the podcast today. <laughs> Come up here. Um, so expanding that to, like, money, like I was saying, um, the, uh, we have a monetary system that we really don't have any control over. Um, mm-hmm. We have an appointed um, boards of governor for our, the Federal Reserve, and they kind of do whatever they want. And then furthermore, for like third world countries, they have their own fiat monies that really don't have any control over. So Bitcoin is an attempt to find a way to just decentralize that, mm-hmm. where no one like ruler has any control over it, but rather there are rules that everyone follows and no one can change because it's decentralized. Gotcha. Uh, so I kind of went on a rant there, and I hope well, I, I didn't. I kind of have. Okay, you can go first. I was just going to say my brain's <laughs> a little bit melty right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, okay, I have a question. Like, I, I was following. It's just like, it's it's a very dense, densely packed topic. Mm. Um, and a lot of fun to think about. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you've got a question. Well, it might be, a, I don't know how to ask the question, but. Go ahead. If I wanted to invest in Bitcoin, for example, mm-hmm. I could just like purchase it, right? Just like I purchase a stock. Yep. Can't you also mine it where you aren't purchasing it? You can. So the way you know mining works is that um, there's a, in creating every block, there's a cryptographic uh, hash that you have to solve for, and we could do it by hand by paper. We wouldn't be able to like. <laughs> You know, it's basically Sounds guesswork fun. and you, it's scaled up to the power of computers. And if you have more hash power, you have a higher likelihood of being successful at finding okay. the next block. And your reward for finding so, the block is that you get to create the next block and you're rewarded uh, Bitcoin as a reward. Huh. And so um, that's essentially what mining does. Okay. And um, so do you just purchase it? Correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, mining is it's tricky because it's a very low margin game. It's highly competitive. You need to know not only like 
and you, it's really optimal about where you get your energy source. Your energy costs are the biggest uh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. input. So you need to find and source really unique energy sources that come at a really cost-effective rate. And so mm-hmm. plugging it into your wall at your residential spot, not going to be competitive. Um, but there yeah, are there, options for individuals. There are like... I mean, like I, I hear stories about like vi- like computer viruses that get sent out that get the computers to like yep. mine huh. on behalf of the person who pushed out the virus. Correct. Um, so if your computer wow. gets infected or your cell phone gets infected, it could be running its CPU or GPU idly and you won't even know. And mm-hmm. some unbeknownst hacker just hacked your phone and got all that mining revenue. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that is possible. And, and then um, people stealing electricity. Correct. Like, yeah. Running mining nodes in their, their dorm room, you know, mm-hmm. on the campus's buck. Oh, yeah. um, that's more back in the day, I think. But um, I think those are less common now because they're less profitable. There's just mining has been so industrialized and they've found really creative ways to mine Bitcoin. So, so one, I mean, renewable energy is a huge investment of a lot of these companies because there's an initial fixed cost to set up a wind farm or a solar farm. But afterwards, there's just maintenance of those solar panels, and there's no further variable cost. And um, so it's really, re- it, in a lot of ways, uh, is incentivizing renewable farms elsewhere. But also, the normal operations of, like, gas and elect- uh, coal plants, uh, they actually have to stay on, like, at a fixed level. But because turning on and off is actually very costly and damaging to their equipment. But that's not how demand for energy goes through. So if there's actually a surplus produced and they have nowhere to put it, they actually have to flare it into the air. Hmm. And Bitcoin miners have actually attached themselves to these sites and taken that excess energy for very cheap. Hmm. And so a lot of it like doesn't create any more emissions, really. It just uses excess energy that's going to be burnt regardless. So it's a really interesting field Mm -hmm. that um, all goes into securing the network. Hmm. Um, Yeah. That's cool. I, yeah, I've learned a lot. Yeah. How, <laughs> how, like how many years have you been researching this stuff? Oh, uh, like seven months. Oh, oh you're sad. very new at it. Oh, I'm very new. Like there's all, there's still a lot of gaps that are going on, but I know the different paradigms of like what type of cryptocurrency person there is. So to be kind of I guess transparent about what other types of investors will be like there's bitcoin who they have a problem with the main system we all governments they print whatever money they need to use mm-hmm. and the externalities of printing is inflation and it offsets the benefits of technology so when we get better at technology we do more with less and those cost savings instead of getting reaped by people they get absorbed by government because they print money to offset it so they can spend money frivolously and then they create inflation and inflation affects a lot of people. They put shortages in healthcare, price price surges in healthcare, housing, and education generally. So Bitcoin solves that by just creating a decentralized protocol. No one can uh, touch it. No one can change it. It's a set of rules that everyone has to follow, and we can't mm-hmm. just print at will. So we have an inflexible money supply. That's the primary group that started all this. Uh, another set of group, which I think are in the likes of Ethereum, Cardano, and other coins is they want to create applications. So Bitcoin is created specifically at the base layer to be fixed, only serve as store value money. And they don't want to change that because it would compromise how decentralized it is. If you expand it to create not just transactions, but also programming code, Mm -hmm. the blockchain blows up and no one will be able to look at it. 
uh, currently is programmed such that any layman can get their computer and look at the blockchain and validate for themselves hmm. what the transactions are. So other blockchains have created protocols that include code that can do smart contracting. And that way you can program how you want a set of transactions to resolve and it goes. You don't necessarily need to talk to a bank. Hmm. And so that's the value proposition of others. And Bitcoin has chosen to do that on side chains, which are basically faster alternate chains that um, basically you take a detour off the highway and you do some sort of smart contracting or faster transactions and you come back onto the main secure highway, which is Bitcoin. Hmm. Whereas they've all these other coins have decided to innovate on the main blockchain, which um, allows for decentralized ability to program and write interesting applications, um, which touches a lot of different areas. I haven't done as much research on those, but they certainly have a use case that they've carved out as it's not, it's not inconsequential. I mean, they're in the top 500 entities, companies, assets by market cap, um, like other up there, like hmm. hundreds of billions of dollars worth of market cap. So which one will be successful? Probably all of them. I mean, I'm mostly leaning towards the main problem being um, solving the, the, pro the problem that Bitcoin solves. Um, the other ones I think will resolve themselves. We have innovators who will find a way to transact value in a complicated way, like in a contract way. Um, that'll be figured out over time. The optimal one will be chosen by the market, but um, the main problem that Bitcoin is solving, I think there's a great chance if you look at the economy that we, we need to, people need to invest in things that are non-monetary, you know, mm -hmm. that can't be printed into, into obscurity and such. So that's mm -hmm. my main uh, draw to it. I think it solves a lot of those problems. Well, I feel like just that tidbit of information meant a lot to me because I had no idea why Bitcoin came to be what's like, what's the differentiator kind of yeah. thing from yeah and these are some of the long-term goals to get to go back to something that's really practical like today there are human rights organizations around the world and repressive regimes like i think 85 86 percent of the world just doesn't live under a democratically elected government yeah. it's mostly dictators in the world and as such if you're not on the good list of a dictator you get shut out of the banking system and literally the only way you can get cash from say a western government is to fly there and receive the physical cash to fund their operations. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin right now is banking the unbanked in a sense. You can't stop the network. They set up an address. All they need is a computer, iPhone or computer, and the internet. And transactions are unreversible. So they can be sent value for their operations regularly now. And that is a valuable use case happening now. And the other one is even though it's fluctuated, like it's fluctuated, the price has fluctuated a lot recently. It's nowhere near as much fluctuation as the local currency of some of these mm. oppression regimes. Oh, yeah. And so they and they don't have access to invest in dollars. They don't have 401ks. They don't have Robin Hood. So uh, TM, sorry, uh, I don't know if you guys are getting sponsored by them soon. But, We're not. But, yeah, okay. <laughs> but they don't have um, common apps that we have to invest and get exposure to the stock market. So um, it's actually a method by which one can like save that doesn't exist and hasn't existed globally forever. Uh, it's actually, that's it's one of those most novel inventions. This is why I'm, I think it's going to revolutionize the world. Hmm. Um, and so once you can do that, you can start thinking a little more long-term instead of just doing what your father did, which is what your grandfather did and stuff and living hand to mouth. Hmm. So those are some of the practical benefits that it's driving 
abstract from their long-term goals. Like what is the long-term ambition of the protocol? Um, mm-hmm. There are some real benefits that are actually happening right now. Um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of people I follow that like update on some of those. So it's gotcha. fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Should we pause? Yeah, let's research? pause the episode because actually I think I need a, a short break as well. Okay. She's had a couple scares where like there's a default setting. Like if you've been filming for X amount of time, it just it resets. And um, oh no. Yeah. Well, she's it's she's scary. live working, so she sees it. But um, like that that one time, she just noticed it happened, and it was like no big deal. You can edit through that and <laughs> patch the uh, missing time. Well, in the file format that we use, like, if something goes wrong during the recording, mm-hmm. we lose everything. Like, if it doesn't if it doesn't have a chance to, like, finalize the file, then yep. it's all gone. Yeah. Is, oh, okay. Yeah, so that would be pretty bad, like, 50 minutes into yeah. an episode. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Well. Can't really recreate the authenticity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you have... I mean, we haven't known each other that long. I guess mm-hmm. a couple of years, but, yeah. you know, it's through work. Uh, you've always struck me as a person who is calm and together mm. 90% of the time. Mm. <laughs> yeah, okay. What about the other 10? You- so the other 10% doesn't come out very often, obviously, but uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's something there, and I've always been really curious about it. And I remember, like, one time we were at... Uh, a function with a lot of friends around a campfire mm-hmm. and somebody brought up something supernatural and you had kind of like a reaction to it and I, I asked you about that mm-hmm. and and I just remember thinking okay wow there's like a lot of depth to Stephen mm-hmm. through some stuff through his childhood and maybe mm-hmm. young adulthood and you're clearly in a really good spot right now mm-hmm. at least from the outside yep uh, and you were talking earlier about like working out and how you reached like a like a solid mental state mm-hmm. like through that process. And mm-hmm. so I guess I'm curious to know like what what is your evolution over time? Like how how did that come to be? Like mm-hmm. you and I'm I'm saying this uh, from the perspective of someone who. In a way, I, I I think admiration is probably a good word. Mm. Like, I really admire at least the mental state that you present mm. because I can't say that I've got a 90-10 split on my, <laughs> on my calm versus not calm. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, I'm still, everyone, I think, is still processing um, it to some extent as they continue to grow older. But um, uh, I don't even know where to begin. Um, this is a big question, but uh, <laughs> kind of very skimming over early childhood, you know, grew up in small towns to a lower class and sometimes I would say impoverished family. Like we really didn't have a lot. Uh, there are plenty of times I certain we were like malnourished and had, you know, limited opportunities in life. And the only things I really had going for me is none of my parents had like a crippling like dependency on something um such as alcohol and i had a great mother she's i do have a great mother so uh she's she's still around and she's great um so i've had that and that's generally all you need um in life you can make a lot out of that no matter what situation you come from um grew up in a very deep religious upbringing fundamental baptist so it was very rules-based and the rules 
you know, they're set in stone based on the Bible, but in coming my dad, he had his own interpretation. And so I think I suffered a lot of psychological abuse from him just continually from a young age upwards. Young age, obviously you go along with whatever because you're a kid, but once you start having like real opinions, I think everything kind of got morphed by him and, and bashed. So I kind of entered the real world at college as like wanting peace because it was always a fight and strife, wanting to kind of learn how, I mean, become close with people because I was very, I was homeschooled for a large portion of it. And so I was really, even my relationships were very scrutinized uh, who I interacted with because it might be a bad, uh, bad influence. So really it was a very naive, but honest, open, uh, go into the world type of attitude. And that's where I was trying to find myself. And I didn't misstep. I misstepped plenty of times. I'm sure I probably misstepped on areas where others maybe had figured it out. Um, with, with forming connections forming, between people, you no know, forming connections, realizing Please. what are bad connections, seeing red mm. flags, learning, and 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 another one was like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I got pushed into college, like kind of at the last second, like I had no no idea about what one does with their life, uh, career paths. I didn't know what financial markets were. I pretty much only knew like general labor job and doctor lawyer. And I didn't even know what doctors mm-hmm. and lawyers really did. A doctor's it's obvious lawyers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And were you kind of pushed towards a certain degree? The medical. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think my, there, there's a lot of people in my family who are just in medical, um, from, um, uh, doctor kind of roles to nurses and technicians mm-hmm. and such. So I initially got put there into physics and then I just sort of, I don't know, tried to find myself. And, um, and yeah. were you help me understand like your, your mindset at this point, were you, um, I mean, we don't need to go too deep into religion, but like, were you still in that like religious mindset or were you kind of trying to like break out of it at that point or? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that kind of recenters me a bit because I mean, that, was drilled into me from a young age. And then I remember there was one point where I decided I didn't want to get up for Sunday school anymore. And I just slept through banging on the door, you know, it was like yelling and banging on the door. We're going to be late. And I called the bluff because he doesn't, and my dad didn't like to be late mm. and it, we would have been late and missed, missed a lot of the sermon. Um, and so I slept in and then I, I remember that was the last time I went to church for what was like a decade or more okay. over a decade. And I went bit into the like believing there is no God, you know, atheist kind of maybe not too deep, but I, I rationalized a little bit with them, purely naturalistic, everything, science is truth. And that's a little cringy in my opinion now, but at the time it was like my answer, like there was all this unanswered from, you know, religion, like why do we follow these traditions? And it was just traditions. I wasn't really, I don't think I was really taught like some religious goers do so i think I, I i lacked a lot of like answers from it that were answered by just general like scientific naturalism and mm-hmm. that kind of left me thinking that there's no place for religious thought and spiritualism but over time i realized that that was honestly kind of an empty like realm to be in and if we really believed like in pure scientific naturalism, we wouldn't take or eat anything because they haven't been naturally studied. Like everything is not FDA approved. And what does FDA approval really even mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So like if we really believed in pure 
nothing rules-based science approved doctrine, then um, we wouldn't really act because science hasn't figured out with utter definition everything they find mm -hmm. within certain probabilities. And we still do like in medical realm, like you listen to your doctor, but there's gotta be a little bit more faith in life. And so I kind of agnostically came back to believing that there's probably something to the spiritual realm that is real, that people interact with. I mean, people, it's, it's, it's created synthetically by taking psilocybin and you know, mushrooms. People have spiritual um, episodes where they interact with something that's commonly described somewhat as divine. And a lot of people, different people taking it, have a similar described experience. So there's got to be something out there. And so I've kind of come full circle. And now um, with my fiance, um, we are, I mean, she, she's Christian. And that's kind of where I started. But she's more of like a non-denominational, less fundamental Christian. I think it makes the most sense. Um, it has the most, the ethos that I think makes the most sense out of everything that I've studied so far. Um, and so I'd, I'd say I'd come back around and say that Christianity is where I've landed. So that, that, I mean, that that's quite a journey that you've just described there. Yeah. And, and I, I feel like you were describing like that over like a 15 year period. Were there any like specific like linchpin moments, mm -hmm. like crossroads that you, mm -hmm. you like, you know, you described like staying inside uh, while the banging was happening on the door and mm -hmm. skipping Sunday school. Mm -hmm. And and now you've come back around to like, um, well, from that to atheism to sort of an agnosticism, but respectful of faith mm -hmm. and, and now back around to like a Christianity. Mm -hmm. So uh, were there other transition points like the banging on the door? Mm -hmm. I think it started with frustration. So that's what you were describing there, banging of the door, having to get up and not knowing why. Mm -hmm. And the easy answer was to find literal truths. So I think there's a distinction between literal and figurative truths or um, archetypal truths, truths, if you use a more specific word. Um, uh, scientific naturalism is true in a literal sense. You know, if you um, literally take poison, you know, you, you die and there's like probably a biological mechanism by which it goes ingested and then it interacts with your cells and destroys tissue and dies. And you can study that and it's literally true. Um, but then there's like the, there's, there's sort of like, if you take the world too literally, you almost miss the forest for the trees to some degree. There are certain things like stories that aren't literally true, but they describe a circumstance we all run into in life. And I realized that, like the Bible, for instance, talks about, um, you know, like the flood story, like the flood is symbolic of um, something that will bite you if you're stuck too much into your own self-indulgences and sins. Uh, there's always a flood coming and it can just wipe you out. And if you just aren't prepared, which may seem foolish, like, you know, it's foolish to build a massive ship to house a bunch of animals. Um to everyone who might just be sitting around jolly and in total splendor. But then once a flood does happen and you don't have, uh, you know, some plan set up, you're just going to get demolished. Mm -hmm. And that's like, okay, there's, you could debate all you want about whether the flood actually happened, but that's actually not the point, whether the flood happened or not, whether you're debating from the fundamental Christian side or the atheist side who might say it's stupid to believe that this massive flood and this massive, the description of the ship would get 
they, we've never built a ship so large, so how could they have built one with ancient technology? That just totally misses the point. Mm-hmm. And the point is, is that sometimes stories and beliefs that we've held true for ages have carried us through trying times that we actually all kind of carry with us throughout life. And that made me think maybe, we, you know, just believing in what we've learned through naturalistic inquiry is insufficient to sustain me in life. Maybe I just got older and I just became more of an adult. Who knows? But mm-hmm. I think at some point I realized that you have to have some level of belief in life else you really can't act. And that belief has to be updated regularly. And to some degree, our spiritual myths that we've learned for a long time do mean something and can be applied. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that was kind of, I think the big thing I figured out was like, I was searching for a specific answer. I found it and that answer was insufficient that I came back around to, you know, have a spiritual appreciation. So you, you had like some enlightenment and realized that like, you know, regardless of what you might think about each story individually you you are able to pull the truths out of them regardless Mm. and see their value yeah uh do you feel like like the level of understanding that you have now uh is that where you want to be at the end of the day do you feel like you have more in this journey are you still walking a path or are you just Content. Yeah, I mean, those are great questions that I could probably take with me till midnight trying to fall asleep. You know, um, I definitely think the answer is yes, there's always more to learn and you're never really over it. I mean, some of our spiritual beliefs, they they transcend like, I don't know, they, they, they start when we were able to talk as a species. And so if we've been telling a story for that long, there's got to be unending amounts to inquire about. But um, for me, I think a large portion of my life has been trying to strive for some sort of like stableness. So having a job that can provide for me and a family, but also catching up on just so much time that was just lost due to, I guess, problems I ran into throughout my you know childhood. Um, and so as far as what I'm looking for, um, you know, I'm, I'm certain there's more to strive for. I just I don't. I don't have like, I'm just sort of stuck in between, you know, building who I am today and then figuring out what I want to be tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's just everyone. I was going to say, yeah, like your question just makes me think I feel very far from like where I feel like I need or I want to be, not mm-hmm. need to be. I don't know if that's how I want to describe it, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, there's so many things that I want to know about myself still that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it depends on which dimension you ask. Like physically, yeah. there are some PR goals I want to li- I want to get back to in lifting. Yeah. I want to I want to actually um part part of a three three four three two one club, which you can deadlift four plates, squat three plates, oh bench God. two plates, overhead press one plate. I've never um, heard of this. I actually think I'm there. I just haven't done the deadlift one, but um you know, I probably just pull it out one day. That's but cool. then like other dimensions, like financially, we'd all like to be like Oh, we have enough finances to retire now. Like that's probably where everyone would agree to be on. I'm not there yet, but I'm on a track to do that. Um, relation relationship wise, you know, I'm going to be married next year. That's exciting. It wasn't always exciting because when you're young, you know, you want that freedom. And now I'm in a spot where I think this is exactly what I need. Not just want need because I think you just 
squander if you don't have someone else to anchor you and check you. Mm -hmm. Um, Friends, I've made a great friend group. Um, I haven't always had a great group. And actually, quite frankly, I don't really have, like, any friends from my past um, for reasons. So, like, I only have the friends I've made moving forward. But I've accomplished that. Um, So, to a large degree, I'm I'm satisfied. But um, I'm open now to experiences um, that... You know, life may bring me, or you know, um, my fiance might want whatnot, and just kind of somewhat of an open book, reinventing myself. Yeah. So, would you say like the stability you've achieved through like relationship, friends, finances, is that giving you like a platform to do like further? Uh, I don't know if experimentation is the right word, but like mm-hmm. further exploration of like what else you are. Yeah. I think that's actually a great model that everyone sort of goes through whether they like it or not. So, like, a big portion of, you know, wagging your kids at someone who's not getting their act together in life, um, it's understandable if they're young. You know, someone's in their 20s and they're goofing off, like, oh, they're 20 years old. And (laughs) they'll get a job and be productive one day. But then, like, once you're 30, it's kind of like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, you know, so... You, you're this plural potentiality initially, and you figure out what you want to do. And I've gotten there, and I think a lot of people need to get there. Then afterwards, with the remainder of your life, um, as long as you take care of your commitments, you can kind of become that anything again. You know, mm. uh, do I want to take up a certain hobby? Well, now I'm kind of stable, and I can. Do I want to study philosophy? Well, there's education's free online. I could figure out what I want to uh, figure out, um, or I could just be less ambitious, just play video games. Um, <laughs> It's kind of my, yeah, <laughs> video games are great. Although I'll say, I think video games can be an ambition. <laughs> You're right on that. It's um, like studying philosophy. Exactly, yeah. There are, some games have a lot of depth to them, and actually some games, I would say, have had more of an impact on me than like some others do. And it's, so it's not even an impact you can verbally describe. Some games just have an aura or feel to them that uh, you remember for a long time. You're not sure why. Um, but they're I've, culturally I've, significant. I've had games change my life. Yeah. And, and that's probably something we should talk about on another episode. But, oh, yeah. But definitely. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's it's phenomenal. And I do think, though, it's a bit scary, the thought of games, uh, the augmented and virtual reality, um, expanding to the point where um, it's indistinguishable. I think that's a scary singularity to hit where mm-hmm. uh, life becomes, like, virtual and recreated. And then it, that gets into simulation theory. You can find... <laughs> Plenty of podcasts where people go deep down the rabbit hole where we're living in a simulation. I mean, listen to episode five and six. I don't remember. (laughs) The one right before this one. Yeah. 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 Or two before. But, um, yeah, that's a whole interesting brain exercise to think Uh, through. Yeah, you should watch me in that episode because I'm like... The wheels are turning and taking everything in, trying to think about that. Well, I think we had talked about it a couple times, but then, like, yeah. the last episode, you were like, like, oh, I'm going to be thinking about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, did we hit everything? I think so. This was great. I yeah. loved this conversation. Yeah. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Yeah, anytime. Yeah. I thought you said this was the only time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm generous with my time. But I appreciate you guys inviting me on. You guys have an awesome set, and um, it was thanks to your fiance. Yeah. <laughs> You're literally just. Like... I know. I know. <laughs> uh, 
but still, nonetheless, I mean, I like the, the idea you guys thought of, the uh, decor and such, so I, I had a good time. So. Yeah, we're really happy having you here. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. 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 So, that was really fun.